0: Good morning, Crossroads. It's a beautiful day in northern Colorado, isn't it? If you're here on our Crossroads Loveland campus, you know that to be the truth. And if you live somewhere else in the country or the world, I hope you're having an equally glorious day like the day that we're having here. Before I dive into our first topic on the blessed life, I want to give you an update about our pastor search Our our lead pastor, our senior pastor for 23 years, uh, stepped out of that role in December of this year. So we are in the search of our lives, a big transition, where we are looking for the next lead pastor. And we've engaged the services of a search firm. They're called Vanderblumen Search Group, and they've been working alongside our search team for 12 weeks now. Very hard. And Tuesday is a big day. Because they will come to, to Loveland and they will present to our team the slate of candidates that they are recommending that we consider. And it will be a number of talented people. And it's going to be a really exciting day to have that revealed to us. And then we go about our work over the next month or so of, of listening to sermons and narrowing down that group and beginning to do interviews ourselves. So please pray for us on Tuesday. And if you opened your email from me on Thursday, you might have noticed there's a prayer guide for that process that was attached. It's excellent. It tells you more about this process and it lets you know how you could pray. And we've printed copies of that. You can grab them on your way out. They're at the tables in the back here. They're also at the Welcome Center and you can sign up to get to get our feed newsletter so that you can get things like that in the future. Well, we are diving into this series. It's called The Blessed Life. Uh, Crossroads is 23, and about every two to three years, we take up this topic at Crossroads, and we've tried different approaches to the topic. This time, we are really going for it, and by it, I mean we're going to have straight talk about financial faithfulness, and we are swinging for the fences. A win will look like hundreds and hundreds of changed lives. We want to start a conversation about generosity at Crossroads Church that picks up steam and never dies down. And the series that we're using is the life work of Robert Morris. He's a pastor in the Houston area, Gateway Church. So the sermon series we'll participate in is largely his work. And then he wrote that book, The Blessed Life, that Rod brought up. And it has sold millions of copies. It's in 30 languages. And he gives away all the royalties. And the success of The Blessed Life, the whole messaging, uh, can be attributed to to the changes that we will see in our lives over these next 6 weeks. That's why the message is so popular because it's about changing marriages. We will have our health changed, we will have our parenting and our family and our friendships changed, our jobs will change because it's about a blessed life. It's not about the blessed bank account. The blessed life and this is the kickoff moment. So if you turn to your in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 at verse 36, and this scripture is in your message notes, it's on our screens here, it's on the version app, it's Jesus teaching. Jesus says, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I want to ask a simple question to the room. Is the word money used anywhere in that passage? Word money is not used because the passage is not about money. The passage is about giving good things and not giving bad things. Because whatever you do give will come back into your life in greater measure than you originally put it out. And yet most of the time when we hear the phrase give and it will be given to you, we think of... We think of money. When you hear a preacher say, give, you think of money most of the time. We do. I was at a a conference with some pastors last week. And pastors, if they have to make small talk, they tend to discuss a couple of topics. One is how many people are coming to your church these days. And another topic is uh, what's your budget like. And then probably the third is when was the last time that you preached about giving? And if I want to be a smart aleck, I will say last week, and then they'll say, well, when was the time before that? And I'll say the week before that. We preach about giving every week. Now, what they really mean is how often do you talk about giving money? We talk about giving every week at Crossroads. We couldn't preach on any topic out of your Bibles without talking about giving. We can't speak about grace without talking about giving. God so loved the world that he graciously gave his life in Christ when we were yet very ungracious people. We can't talk about uh, relationships in marriage or friendship without talking about giving because those kinds of relationships don't work unless all the people are givers. And we can't teach about compassion and forgiveness without talking about giving because Jesus said, be generous with those two things, especially generous with your compassion and your forgiveness. Giving applies to every area of our lives and giving is about the heart. So that's why the first message in the series is called, it's all about your heart. And people will say, well, the church is just after your money. And to that, I would say yes and no. God is after your money because God is after your heart. God is after your heart. And there is a string from your wallet to your heart. And when somebody yanks on it, it hurts. We feel it. If I said, hey, let's have a second offering. Ushers, come forward. We're going to pass the baskets. I want you to reach for the wallet of the person sitting next to you, pull it into your lap, open it up, and give like you never gave before. We'd hear, ow, ow, heart attacks all over the room. Because whoever can get your wallet can get your heart. And I got that from Jesus who said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So know where the things, that you, where the things you value are, and you can find your heart. And if you, if you want your heart to be in the place of abundance and love and joy, then you want your heart in the kingdom of God. And if you want your heart in the kingdom of God, you want a good deal of your money in the kingdom of God as well. Our hearts will follow our treasure around Put your money in a new stock, what are you going to do? You're going to go online and check the value of that stock. Did you ever go online and check this value of that stock before? No, but you care now. So you're checking it now because that's where your treasure is. So giving is a heart issue. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about the heart, specifically about judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness. He says, don't judge or you'll be judged. Don't condemn or you'll be And forgive and you'll be. Yeah, Whatever you give, you're going to get lots back. That's the part that we maybe don't teach about so much in church. Whatever you give, you're going to get a lot back. You give judgment, judgment comes back to you. With the same measure you give judgment, you get judgment back plus an extra scoop. So we can apply uh, these principles to other areas of life. We can. We can apply it to money because it's the law of sowing and reaping. That if we plant a seed, we don't just get a seed back. We get a plant or a tree and a whole lot of seeds. That's the way that God created the world. Whatever you give, you're going to get more back. So it's better to give good things than bad things because you will get back what you've given in large measure no matter what you choose to give. I learned this through parenting. That is the school where I learned that you give back what you give out. There were times when my daughter's behavior or attitude had me on tilt. And I remember one time being in an hour and a half long verbal gridlock with a 16-year-old. And after I got completely worn down and super stressed out, I sent her to bed, and I said to Dave, come here, we're going to talk. And Dave knows that doesn't really mean that we're going to talk. It means that I'm going to talk, and Dave's going to pretend like he's listening, because he already heard it all. He heard it. He's going to pretend, and I'm going to recall the entire conversation. So I'm going at it, blow by blow, play by play, retelling it. And at one point, I said, can you believe she was yelling at me? I can't believe she yells at me. And then I came up for air, and I took a breath. I stopped talking, and I could hear her voice coming from her bedroom. And I said are you on your phone? Answer me. Are you using your phone? Answer me now. And without even skipping a beat, I looked right back at Dave and said, I can't believe she yells at me. <laughs> now, if Dave were a better preacher, he'd say, Katie, open your Bible to Luke 6.38. Give yelling, and yelling will be given back to you. Press down, shaken together, and overflowing, for with the same measure that you yell, you get yelling. God is after our hearts. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 15 and see what we can do to grow a heart of generosity. About 3,500 years ago, people began noticing how generous and kind God is, and they began catching the vision that God expects us to be like that also. And so we got the Ten Commandments. We got other instruction given through Moses to the people of Israel. We call this the Old Testament law. We know that Jesus didn't take one word of it back, but only retaught it with an emphasis on the heart. Within this mini-teaching here, we see four things we need to do to begin the journey of a blessed life. You're going to be amazing how much God was concerned with our hearts 3,500 years ago. Deuteronomy 15:7 through 15 says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year for canceling debts is near, so that you may not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. If any of your people sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And that is why I give you this command today. So there are four things that are taught here that we need to do if we want to grow a generous heart. And the first thing is to deal with a hard heart. Deal with a hard heart. God brings up tight, fi- tight-fistedness tight and hard-heartedness, and then this at verse 9. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near. So that you do not show ill will toward the needy among you, your fellow Israelites, and give them nothing. They may appeal to the Lord against you. You'll be found guilty of sin. So notice that hard-heartedness, tight-fistedness, and even self-protective thinking is wickedness in God's mind, and God will hold it against you. That's what guilty means. We think this way, we get in trouble with God. And this is what God's communicating. If your neighbor who is in need comes to you and asks for something, you're supposed to open your hand and lend freely without even having the side thought that the legal year of Jubilee, when the time for canceling debts will come, is only a few months away. They probably won't have paid you back by then. And if that happens the debt will be canceled and you'll never see your money again. Don't even have that side thought. See God had implemented an economic system where all debts were canceled once every 7 years. How many of us would like to re-reimplement this economic system? Be really be something, wouldn't it? I want us to understand the radical soft-heartedness of God and what God is asking for from us. God's saying, don't even have the thought of denying a loan or helping because of jubilee coming in a few months and that you'll legally have to cancel the debt. Don't even think like that. I want you to think like me and I want you to feel like me and be generous and compassionate like a child of God. Now, let me ask you a question that a Bible teacher asked me, a group of young adults many years ago. He said, why do you think God made giving a part of human life? That God created giving. We see it all the time in our ordinary affairs. We see it in operation in the world. It's there. God created it. Why would that be? And the overwhelming answer among this group of young adults was to support God's work. A reasonable answer for some people trying to figure out how God thinks to support God's work. But let's think about that for a moment. Does God really need me to support God's work? Is the solar system light bill getting out of hand and based on my giving we may or may not keep the lights on? Is God uh, trying to solve the problem of the next drought and we've got to build a reservoir and there's not enough money to do it so God needs the people to give or we won't have water? Is God, is God stockpiling gold to pave the streets? No, God doesn't need our money, Right? God did not create giving to support his work. God's work is much more powerful than that. God created giving for our sake, not for God's sake, for our sake. And the reason why is that giving more than anything else will root selfishness and greed out of our hearts. That's what does it. That's what does it. And this is why we don't like hearing Christian teaching that's give to get. Give and you'll get. Give and you'll get. That's why we don't like that. Or please God through your giving and then God will reward you. I don't like it because it makes God sound like God can be bought. And it's not good for human souls. Because give to get will just tamp the greed and selfishness further down into our heart. It's appealing at the lowest level of human thought. Give to get. I don't think that's what God is saying. It works greed more into our lives. Just imagine a thoughtful pers- person or the Lord God himself hearing this give to give and you'll get, give and you'll get message. And God must be thinking, oh, isn't that just great? All the people are hearing that they'll get if they give. So they're giving to get great. All of God's children are catching the vision for getting. That does not sound like a God process, does it? It's not. It's not. It's not. I want to say, right now, at this moment, that there is an area of selfishness that some people will never grow out of. There are two kinds of people in the world. And one of those kinds is the kind that does not want to share our food. And then there's another kind of person, and you know who you are. You want our food. And we who don't want to share our food tend to marry or date people who want our food. And this is how this goes down in the at the drive-thru window. I order my food. I order what I want. And then I turn to Dave and I say, what would you like? And he usually puts his hand right here and he thinks for a second. He says, um, I'm not really very hungry, so I'll just have some of, of yours. And I say, oh, no, you won't. I'll buy you all the fries you want, but you're not getting one of my fries. And the fries that fall to the bottom of the bag, those fries are mine too. Well, we got to deal with a hard heart in order to be on the good side of God and to have the blessed life. Number two is to deal with a grudging heart. Deal with a grudging heart. In verse 10, God is talking about giving money, the whole passage. It's about giving giving our money freely. Verse 10, give generously to them. Do so without a grudging heart. Because of this, then, your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. If you learn to give from the heart and with a free heart, God will bless you in everything you do. And what is moving the heart of God to move us into this blessed life? It's a grudge-free heart. That's what this teaching is here. It's about having a healthy, healthy, free heart. And the heart attack of selfishness grips us before we give. It hurts then. And the heart attack of a grudge grips us after we give. It's regret or, oh, I wonder what I could have done with that. I don't know if I should have given it. I remember the first time that this grudge hit struck me. I was five years old. And my grandma B was preparing to take a bunch of stuff down to the church rummage sale. And she told me that the rummage sale was to uh, raise money for missionaries in another country in a very poor community where people didn't have enough food. And I said, I want to be part of the giving. But I was visiting her house. And I said, I want to give the baby doll. Now the baby doll belonged to Grandma B and it was at the bottom of her toy chest. And baby doll looked like a demon. Baby doll had crazy, ugly hair, crazy, ugly eyes. She was dirty. She had no clothes. And Grandma B said, well, we could give baby doll, but we'd have to fix her up before we take her down to the church. So she helped me, and we washed the baby's face, and we found clothes and washed and pressed them and put them on the baby. I went through a shoebox full of trim and new button, or buttons that had been saved and ribbons and rickrack. You remember rickrack from the 70s? Rick Rock is groovy. Well, we sewed Rick Rock on Groovy Susie's little dress, and I put her in my lap, and we headed down to the rummage sale with our boxes of stuff that we were going to give away. And I turned to my Grandma B and I said, I'm going to keep her. Now that she's pretty, I want her. And Grandma must have said something to me that made me let go of the doll when we got to the church. And the doll got given to the missionaries. But I had a grudge about letting go of groovy Susie for a long, long time. I wanted to keep her. I wanted to keep her. Ever given something away and then you wanted it back? And a voice says, you shouldn't have done that. Or you decide to give and then you change your mind. Ah, You don't need to do that. And we feel sad or grudgy because we gave that's so weird. I'm standing here and I had a thought, a stray thought go through my mind. Do you ever have that happen to you? I had this stray thought go through my mind that I am traveling tomorrow and I don't have any cash. How weird is that? It's probably because we're talking about money, right? Okay, I got to find my place. Oh, (laughs) this is awesome. I need to think out loud more often. If I could earn a living thinking out loud, that would be my dream job. (laughs) I think Rod just handed me what looks to be about a hundred bucks. You know why Rod got up so quick and gave me this? I gave it to him before the service started. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I heard some quick thinkers say, because it's yours. And it is. That's the lesson here. It's easy to let go of something if it's not really ours. And could it be that one of the reasons we have a hard time letting go of our resources is because we mistakenly think they were ours in the first place. When everything belongs to God, the earth and all it contains are God's. And when we get that truth in our hearts, it's so much easier to let go because we know it already belonged to God. We won't feel the grudge. So we deal with a grudging heart. Number three, develop a generous heart. Develop it. Develop a big generous heart. We're looking at verses 13 and 14 here. And this is concerning the generosity that you show to your servants when you release them. So everybody take this in because I know you'll need this the next time you release servants being kind of smart-alecky, but um, this was was a thing in that day that people who were poor would sell themselves to a family. And God said they're to be released then once every seven years. And when that happens, at verse 13, when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Isn't God's way of generosity natural? It comes to us in absolutely every area of life. When you hear that from Deuteronomy, that that's how God sees it, and that's how God wants us to treat people, how do you feel about God? I feel good. Some of you get a little bit of a tear in your eye, or you feel your heart, even this space right here, warming up just a little bit, because you know that's right. We want people to be treated that way. We, know, we were created in God's image, so deep down, you get it. But what happens is that early in our lives, we experience pain or scarcity or loneliness, and we learn a different life. We feel like we need to get and save and keep so that we'll be safe. But we can be born again generous. Look back at Luke 630. We'll have it on the screens. I don't think it's in your message notes. This is the context of the whole give and it will be given to you promise. Jesus says, give to everyone who asks of you. He's teaching off this Deuteronomy idea. And to him who takes your coat, give him your second one. Jesus thought it was possible for people like us to be born again generous. We know it's possible or we wouldn't try to teach our children to share we have hope for them. It goes like this. Share, little Johnny. No, share. No, share that. Little boy comes over to your house to play. Your little boy is playing. There's toys all over. The little guest boy walks over, picks up a toy, begins to enjoy it, and your little boy runs over there and says, I was playing with that. That's mine. Give me that. So the little boy puts the toy down, and graciously walks to another toy, picks that one up. Your little guy runs right over there and says, that's mine too, and I was playing with that. I think that sometimes God is saying to all of us, when are you going to grow up? When are all my children going to grow up and grow out of that? A pastor friend of mine tells a story about teaching his grandchildren. It's really a story about goldfish crackers. Boy, if you want to see an economic system fall apart and riot in the streets, just don't have enough goldfish crackers for visiting grandchildren. So uh, this, the, the papa takes a little bag that has barely a handful of goldfish left in the bottom. And he divides it between his two little grandsons. He puts one little pile for this guy and one little pile for that guy. And they're ready to enjoy their little meager amount. When little sister Ella comes walking down the steps from her nap. And she sits down at the table and looks at the two piles of goldfish. And little Ben says, well, everybody really looks at Papa like, what are you going to do about this? And then little Ben says, Papa, Ella doesn't have any goldfish And Papa is just like, oh, yeah, that's right, Benny boy. And he throws Benny a little softball. He says, Ben, what do you think we should do about that? And Ben says, Papa, I think you should go to the store and get more goldfish. (laughs) True story, cute story about kids learning to give. But I think that God is thinking that this is what God wants of me, that I would look around and see the need and that somebody doesn't have, or this is the way it is. And I would say to God, that hurts, and I want that changed. And then God would say back to me, okay, Katie, so what do you think we should do about it? And that my response would naturally be, I think I should share lots and lots. And I think I should spread the message of sharing as much as I can so that all your children are doing this. God wants us to develop a generous heart. And finally, God wants us to develop a grateful heart. Gratitude is power. Deuteronomy 15.15 says, Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you, and that is why I give you this command today. What command? The topic is generosity. Open-handedness, warm-heartedness, no grudges. That's the command. And then God says here, why? Why would I give you this command? Because everything that you have came from me. Even the fries at the bottom of the bag. And every once in a while, you need to remember who you are. That you were once a slave. And every once in a while, I get a very heartwarming reminder of this. I will every once in a while have a flash. And I'll just remember what it felt like to lose a parent to divorce, to walk into a new school, to be a very small child, to not have friends, to have some bullying, and then to remember how God encouraged me that you're not alone and sent warm, friendly people into my life and rescued me. And every once in a while, I'll get a reminder and a flash that I was once enslaved to gender discrimination that I spent much time wondering if I had chosen the right field, that I experienced much rejection. And then at some point, God just encouraged me, no fight, no flight, take courage and become the transforming presence that you want other people to be. And God sent other leaders into my life to share opportunities, to share power. I was saved. And then I remember the years of parenting how tired I got sometimes, the mistakes, the failures, the worries, the hard work, the heartache, and then that exhilarating feeling the very first time that a grown son or daughter comes alongside you and encourages you. They take care of you when you were sick. They take you to the doctor. They know what you're good at, and they call it out in you. They remind you. They would never think of hanging up the phone without saying, I love you. And you know they'll initiate that. You say, wow, I'm so thankful for God's rescue and salvation. And some of you remember what it was like to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or food. And you remember what it feels like to walk those 12 steps of recovery. And you never thought you'd see freedom, but you did. God delivered you. And you're on the other side of that. You've been rescued. You will never forget what that feels like. And some of you remember when you were rescued from living for yourself. Your selfishness caused you to make some choices that destroyed relationships. But now you're redeeming relationships. You're remaking your relationships. You're forgiving people. People are forgiving you. How did that happen? God is our Savior, and you've been redeemed. And when God reminds me of these rescues, it's not hard for me to give. I didn't have anything to give. I was a slave, and you were a slave too. You didn't have anything either, no matter what you had. It was nothing until you woke up to God's goodness, until the light of Christ broke into your heart and redeemed you and gave you a fresh start. A while back, one of our daughters was focusing on stewardship. She was earning and working hard and saving and budgeting and giving, and she was thinking about all of this and she was thinking about Dave and me and what it's cost us to tithe over the 34 years of our marriage to have a habit of giving from the first fruits the first every time we get a check of giving first off at least 10% to our local church where we worship and that's our community and she was she was musing on the miracle of compound interest and she was thinking about 34 years of two jobs and investing in the kingdom of God and she was thinking about what it would be like if all of that had been invested in finance or real estate or something like that and she said how is it mom and dad that you chose this life and that this is what you decided to do and I say so easily and I've heard Dave say it many times we are so grateful for our blessed life we're so grateful for our home We're grateful for you girls, and now Ryan and Chris. We're so thankful for the grandparents. We're so thankful for Uncle Marty, cured of stage four cancer. We're so thankful for our church family crossroads. I think God made me a pastor. I'll never be lonely. I may be some other things, but I'll never be lonely. I'm so thankful for all of you. And when I think about it, I can't believe that God would bless us with so much human love and with meaningful work And even to live here in northern Colorado and the mountains we love and the rivers and the sunshine. I said, your dad and I have never gotten over being rescued by God. And we know that everything we have comes from God. And that's why we give. I want you to hear a giving story from a special person, Aisha Thomas. Aisha is the chair of our church council. And what I love about the journey of giving and generosity is that it never ends. There's always a new movement, a fresh movement of God, and a new, fresh story. That's how God does it, and Aisha's got a new story for us. Can you welcome her? Let's encourage her.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Well, again, my name is Aisha Thomas. I am here to share my testimony on joy. I am on a mission to have a joy-filled heart rather than one of desire. A couple of months ago, my family and I, we were gifted with Eagles game tickets. We were so excited. We showed up and we were spoiled. We did nothing to earn this, but um, it was amazing. And we showed up, they gave us cowbells and they gave us free t-shirts and just all kinds of swag. It was amazing. So um, about midway through the game from the ice, they said that they were gonna shoot up some free t-shirts up to the crowd. Well, we'd already received free T-shirts, and so I thought, oh, I'm just going to, you know, we had these cool, like, Colorado Eagles shirts, and I said, I'm just going to sit down, let somebody else win this T-shirt, so everybody around me is, like, standing up, and they're reaching, and like, I want a T-shirt, yeah, and I'm I'm watching the Jumbotron, and then, thwack, I get hit upside the head (laughs) with something, and... (laughs) always got to pay attention at these games. And it lands on my lap. I look down, it's a rolled up t-shirt. And I think, well, I have a free t-shirt. I'm just going to, you know, toss this into the crowd. But then I hear a little whisper and it says, just read it. So I kind of shake it out and it has a heart with a cross on it. And it says, live generously. And I'm like, well, if I got hit upside the head with a t-shirt with a cross on it at a hockey's game, it's probably for me. (laughs) So I kept the shirt. (laughs) And the very next day in my bible study i was reading about david teaching his son solomon about the building of the temple and david was generously giving all of his treasure over to the to this building of the temple and in 1st chronicles 29 david said because of my delight in the house of my god he gave his treasure and i saw that word delight and it just connected with me and i realized right hindsight that this t-shirt hitting me on the head was God doing a pre-warning to me saying he's about to do some work on my heart because when I first unraveled that t-shirt I thought well I live generously but God was but God was really gonna move some things into my into my heart and um I realized when reading that scripture because of my delight that I was giving sometimes with some resentment I was giving and thinking, well, I'll give to get or I'll give for this or I'll give for that. And sometimes I refrained on giving generously because I thought, but I need this. Where I have three children and we're one income, I need this to make it through the month. And now becoming a council chair and seeing the church budget and where every dollar gets spent, and the direct correlation of giving and tithing into our programs and staffing, and the amazing, incredible stewardship of this money that our church uh, leadership creates in, um, in this in this amazing place, I realized through all of this, God revealed to me that. Tithing and offering generously is a spiritual issue. It is not a financial one. So when I kept saying, but I need this for my family, I was trying to provide for my family instead of relying on God to provide for my family. And let me tell you, unbeknownst to me, God was also stirring my husband's heart. And so when we connected on this topic over dinner, um, we came up with an offering that we thought, a tithing percentage that we thought was showing glory and gratitude to God. And we said, um, before we hit that online submit button, we said, let's just take one day, one night to pray on it. And we asked God for confirmation. Is this the percentage that we are supposed to give this month? And it was an, a big stretch for us. And wouldn't you know, the next day we got in the mail a check for a class action suit we didn't know we were a part of, from the sale of a car three or four cars ago for almost the exact amount as that percentage. We took that as confirmation from the Lord we were on the right track, and yes, we tithed on that check as well. So I don't, <laughs> I don't share this to boast, um, But I do share this to, to say that everyone has access to the joy of giving. And I am telling you, the month of April was trying in earthly terms for me, but it was filled with joy. I just felt like I wanted to tap dance every day. I couldn't wait to get my paycheck so I could give to God, I could not wait to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have given to my family. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the small. Thank you for the little. I wanted to show him in this way. And I wanna share with you Proverbs 9, uh, excuse, excuse me, Proverbs 3, 9 through 12. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves just as the Father disciplines the Son in whom he delights. I saw that word again, delights, and it was just God one more time connecting the dots for me. And so for my husband and I, we strive to live and give generously with joy, with delight, with our whole hearts. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Aisha. Thank you for thanking Aisha. Thank you. Where we're going to end our time today with communion together, and when we take communion at Crossroads, it's open to everyone. This is the Lord's table. It's not Crossroads table. And I want you to remember, as you take communion this morning, when you hold the bread in your hand, remember that bread throughout Scripture represents the presence of God give us this day our daily bread when we pray that in the lord's prayer we're saying give us today enough of your presence god to sustain us and then when you take the when you take the wine or we use juice here it represents life it represents the life of god and the life that you have and it represents new life So as you take that, remember that the Holy Spirit is putting new life into you and will always be faithful to do that for you. And our hosts are down front here. The gluten-free is, raise your hand, are you at the gluten-free station right there? This is the gluten-free station. So you are welcome to come up that aisle there or this aisle here. If you need gluten-free, just make your way to that pair. Anyone is welcome to take at that station. That's good stuff too. We buy the good stuff. So, um... We're going to commune in just a moment. I'm going to pray. Would you join me? Lord God, we thank you for the life of every person in the room today. We thank you for how precious every life is and how you've poured your life into our lives to enliven us. And as each person reflects... In these final moments, God, I pray that if there are any concerns and worries about provision on the mind of any person in this room, I pray that you would bring comfort and encouragement, and I also pray for your abundant blessing to be poured into that person's life. Whatever they are asking for, God, in Jesus' name, may it be given to them. And for those whose hearts are overflowing with a kind of thankfulness and a warmness, we ask that you would receive that as our worship and our gratitude. Be with us now and into the week we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.